four young and fearless Americans, children of the space age, armed with cameras, microphones, and curiosity. Alan Yates, Faye Daniels, and their two cameramen and inseparable friends, Jack Anders and Martin Tomasi. Four youngsters who never came back. Are they still alive? And if so, where are they? These are the questions that the rescue team sponsored by New York University and the Pan American Broadcasting System hope to be able to answer. I wonder who the real cannibals are. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin and Dave. Hello. 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 Cats on spring break this week. <laughs> Once again. Again. Spring happens a lot. <laughs> a lot of spring breaks. We're doing some daylight horror this week. It's a little strange to be talking about these matters in the harsh light of day. I, I prefer sundown, really, for this kind of stuff. True. This week, we're going to be talking about Ruggiero Diodato. Legendary Italian filmmaker just passed away last December 29th. RIP. He was 83 years old and just days away from 2023. Pretty good run. Ruggiero is best known, of course, for directing one of the most notorious, controversial, and influential horror films ever made 1980s Cannibal Holocaust, for which he was not only charged in Italy with obscenity but also murder. We talked, we've talked about people running afoul of the law making these movies. We just talked about one of the distributors of the movie Nightmare served some jail time for releasing an unapproved cut in England. We've talked about David Cronenberg being run out of his apartment with his family in Canada for some of his work being harassed by city officials and things like that. I don't think we've ever talked about anybody who was charged with murder after making one of these films. I think that's kind of a badge of honor. Um, this movie is widely regarded as the first found footage horror movie, and that's where the murder charge comes in because this movie was made and marketed as a found footage documentary or that it, it, it contained a documentary within it that was real. And much like the Blair Witch Project would do 20-ish years later, this was marketed as though it happened and the actors in this movie actually allegedly signed an agreement that they would not appear in the public eye for one year after this movie was released. They wouldn't do press for it. They wouldn't do any other films or television. So there was a uh, a real mystique around the movie, and uh, Diodato had to go before the court in Italy and produce evidence and produce actors. I believe some of the actors even came into court, and he had to explain how he did some of the kills, particularly the the bamboo impaling thing. He had to show the court how he did it and show um, clips and pictures of the actress after that scene and show the uh, the guy that played Jack that gets his uh, dick cut off and gets eaten. They had to show that he was still alive and well. Uh, he disappeared from public life not too long after this. He would go on to Cannibal Ferox and one or two others, I think, before he decided he, he'd had enough. This is a great one, and a lot of the filmmakers we've talked about cite 
Cannibal Holocaust as being uh, being a huge influence on them. We can get into the the story, the setup of the film. There's nothing to really spoil here. Everybody pretty much knows Cannibal Holocaust, and there isn't really a, a twist. I mean, what do you think happens? The documentary film crew goes to South America, and uh, doesn't end well. This is, I feel like, kind of one of those Italian horror movies we've talked about that weren't necessarily super available in rural Maine at the corner video store. Nope. We didn't have the Fulci's and the Bava's and the Argento's. We really only mostly had American stuff. We had like Demons. That was one example of an Italian one that we saw when we were kids. But I, I missed this one, and I didn't see it until much later in life. And I didn't really know what to make of it the first time. I was thrown off by all the animal cruelty that kind of opens up this movie the real <laughs> doesn't age well real life animal cruelty we could talk about that i was curious kevin when when was the last time you saw this and what did you think of it then and wh- what did you think of it now revisiting so i was at a party in my 20s and a buddy was showing august underground uh in his office like on his computer and i was like what is this And so he just started like burning me discs of things. So the first time I saw Cannibal Holocaust was this burned copy that just had my friend Jason's handwriting on it said Cannibal Holocaust. And I sat down and could not have felt worse after. Like it was a horrifying as much as I had seen, you know, and, and, you know, I'm in my 20s. We're already in like YouTube culture and Internet culture. So it pops up on like, you know whatculture.com's like 10 most depraved movies and you see the clips and you read about it online but actually watching this like from start to finish it kind of takes a little bit of your soul away for sure (laughs) uh so i watched it in my 20s i feel like i probably didn't watch it again i probably still have that burn dvd somewhere probably didn't watch it again until it started popping up on like shutter or some of the streaming services and was like all right i'll give this a spin just as painful. Don't know why I would want to go back. Um, and then, but you know what? Watching it this time, it's remarkable how well this movie holds up yeah. in terms of how well it's shot, how well it's paced. And I can 100% understand putting all of the viciousness and like the visceral shots that he gets, all of that aside, I understand why this is so influential now because it's a really fucking well-made movie yeah this is a very very well done piece of cinema regardless of how you how it makes you feel well that's one of the things that's you know obviously impressive it makes you feel for sure this blows the Blair Witch Project out of the water they took a page out of the marketing campaign for Cannibal Holocaust which was obviously effective it got people they did the um, they did the wanted posters the documentary it was it was pretty well done it was before I mean you might have had AOL dial-up and you would go to the the site and you would see wanted poster or missing posters. Well, like the wanted, history but. channel did like a documentary presenting like Blair Witch is real. Yeah. So like we were just more in like a modern technological era and a media era where Blair Witch basically took a page out of this. But right. as far as like a movie goes, Cannibal Holocaust slaps, dude. It holds up. It really does. Viva la video nasties. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> uh, I was uh, psyched about this week. I had thought we talked about this before uh, because I recently, for some reason, uh, went on a bender of this movie. I watched it at least twice within maybe the last year or six months. Do you hate um, yourself? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I would do that because even even watching it today, this is one of the only movies I look away from. Yeah, there are parts I look away and I cringe yeah. and I'm Same. like, oh, and I don't do that. 
I like grab people by the face and turn them toward the TV when they try well, to do let, that. Let me stop you there and let me just ask you a question. Yeah. Do you feel bad that you turn away from the animal scenes way more than the human scenes? Well, you know, they're not allowed to hurt humans and they had to prove it. But, you know, we know that, especially in this time, they could hurt animals. And some people did. I was talking about uh, Day of the Animals, the horror movie from late 70s or early 80s that had, uh, they flamethrowed like 90 rats to get a shot. You know, it's crazy. But I love how it's a movie within a movie. I think it's put together so well. Like when we talked about a Serbian film, we were talking about how it's this crazy, crazy, transgressive, uh, gross thing, but packaged as good as any movie that you would see. Um, the only thing I would I would say, the only cheap part of this movie is you had uh, the, the Wish versions of Joe Mantegna as the, the tour guide. Uh, got whatever he was, and then the the five the Fiverr the Fiverr version of Richard Dreyfus uh, as the main the main oh. character, <laughs> <laughs> Professor Monroe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Robert uh, Kerman, porn uh, actor, but they were great. He's he's your off brand Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, <laughs> and I, these guys were telling me that he was a porn actor before because I was like, there's a scene where he's in the water naked. Uh, which, if it were me, that would just give me an erection already. <laughs> but And then all these women like run into the water with him, and they're caressing him, and then they all merge from the water. And this man is completely flaccid. What a professional. <laughs> yes. I didn't know that he... Uh, yeah, you, and you, I, I didn't know that he was from, from the porn industry. I did not. Once again. The Riz Ortolini soundtrack blew my mind. I was supposed to watch these last night. Italian chef and I got Yeah, I got sidetracked and listened to... The soundtracks to both of these films, which are done by the same person, yeah, back to back, just in my headphones. It was amazing. But I love Cannibal Holocaust, even though I look away, even though it's gruesome. It's really, really done quite well, and I, I think the story is e- even good. Yeah, it, like, it's a great story, and th- and this is I meant to mention it is a video nasty, uh, as is the next. This is a double Diodato and double nasty week. Nasty Boys Week, um, and it is it is on Shutter right now. Uncut, and this is I think the only movie I've seen on Shutter that Shutter puts a disclaimer in front of. When Shutter has to put a disclaimer or feels that they should put a disclaimer in front of a movie, it gives this whole spiel about we're presenting this uncut. This the movies in this extreme genre are transgressive and boundary pushing and uh, viewer discretion is advised on this film. They actually, um, they showed this on the last drive-in, the Joe Bob Briggs show last year, and they showed it uncut and they would do like trigger warnings before the, the animal cruelty and stuff like that. There are cruelty-free versions out there. There, I think there was one on Shudder at one point. It's not now. Shudder only has the uncut, but you can watch a, a version without the animal cruelty I think I mean, that's, you, kind of, that's like trying to save a cheeseburger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I, I don't really, I don't really get that. But th- that's part of the reason that this is like kind of the original band in fifty countries. You know, the faces of death thing. This the cover tells you everywhere you can't see it to try to, you know, sort of gin up your interest. And there are lots of different cuts. And this movie's been heavily censored. There's still places where, you know, it's officially banned still in some countries and. Man, it is brutal. Even with all we've seen, I've kind of lost a lot of sense of what is 
brutal at this point. I, you know, it's just it's all make believe to me, and I'm I'm more interested in how they do things and how they make it look so convincing, and the performances are so convincing and stuff like that. This is tough, tough stuff. I think the the one thing that surprised me the most watching it now is how focused it is, which which totally. I lost this, I think, in my first few viewings of Cannibal Holocaust, in that it really paints a very, very bad picture of humanity. Yeah, not uh, good. Not just the, you know, so you have porn guy, Kerman. Yep. He's heading into the jungle. He's looking for this group of four and their guide that we're going to try to find an indigenous tribe that has never been filmed or seen by, or actually two tribes that have never been filmed or seen by the by modern c- civilization, and they're apparently warring with each other constantly, and they are cannibals, and he's going to try to find them because they went on an expedition, they disappeared. Never came back. And then it turns into this, uh, they end up being complete shitbags. Yeah. Just horrible, horrible people, and then it kind of starts bouncing you back and forth as Kerman, once he gets the footage back, to New York, I think it is. Yeah. He's now fighting with the media because they want to show this uncut and right. they don't care. Uh, so it, it's very topical for, honestly, like the era that we're in now, this is a very, very topical movie. I, th- I thought about- that too. Because it, it was and it was at least in part, um, Diodato has said he was at least partly inspired by some stuff that was going on in Italy politically at the time. There was a, a far left like communist group. The Red Brigades. The Red Brigades. And... And Diodato felt that some of the inflammatory footage that was being shown of some of what they were doing, stuff that was being shown in the media to make them look bad, he started to feel like some of it was at least manipulated and edited, if not perhaps staged, true fake news. And that was part of what gave him the idea for this movie. As you said, the the main character, uh, Monroe, he's gone into the jungle to find this documentary film crew that disappeared. Well, it turns out this film crew has a reputation for faking stuff and they actually turn out to once you see the footage they have kind of faked this war between the tribes and they've faked atrocities that they themselves have done so once you get past the animal torture you go right into a lot of human torture and the fact that it actually went to court also kind of like makes it chase its own tail because of what it's about. Yeah, yeah. But and that's yeah. all just a huge shout out to the practical effects. Yeah. Cuz it was all practical and th- what they use in this which is amazing is the people that are filming are usually trying to stay away from the danger. So their uh, view is obstructed. So you have that's where you have the found footage camera behind a bush between leaves so you don't see everything so it gives them a lot of leeway with their special effects where you just see a glimpse of a bloody head but there's the continuity of all that violence and all that stuff is done so well yeah a lot of the like human evisceration and cannibalism and stuff like that is done very obscured which gives a pretty wide range for him to just get creative with how he's shooting it but that's the human side. The animal stuff is real, 
and yeah. very much just in focus on camera. I mean, you've got what? Like the muskrat, I think, is the first. You've got a yeah. snake. You've got a monkey. Yeah. You've got the turtle, which that probably for me, the turtle the and that, the pig. Jiggly stuff. That's the one that I remembered the most. The turtle that's and the pig that nasty, made me. That jiggly stuff. That I, I was covering my eyes. <laughs> the, the turtle... Uh, let, let's talk about the... Now, I don't want to overshadow all the human cruelty that's depicted. <laughs> right. There is a lot of absolutely brutal, and still to this day, the the punishment for adultery scene where they watch one of the tribesmen punish, I guess it was his wife or whatever, for adultery. There's a forced abortion. There's a number of rapes. The, and then, of course, the there's... stick. A the impalement stick. on a stick. That's oh. kind of the piece de resistance. <laughs> the cinema. Of, of this film. I want to go back to the soundtrack, because, Dave, you touched on it. Riz Ordolini. The soundtrack to both films that we're going to talk about, but particularly this one, was a very sometimes distracting and off-putting soundtrack in Cannibal yeah, Holocaust very much. that didn't really match like it opens up with like this beautiful like really whimsical uh, theme and then goes into like this really synth heavy and this like great drum pattern that repeats throughout the entire course of the film but then it keeps bringing back in these weird like when you were talking about uh Kerman going into the water naked, it brings us to like the whimsical music again. Yeah. And there's just some times where like that comes back, and I'm yeah. like, this doesn't feel that's right. That's good about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I like it. that. And that's true of the next film that we're going to talk about, too. There's a juxtaposition between the happy score and what you're seeing. And then there's times, my favorite part of the score of this one, there's those moments that kind of reminded me of some a similar effects used in Last House on the Left which was an inspiration for the next movie. There's times when something happens where, like when the turtle head first gets cut off, you just hear this like, doo. Yeah, yeah no, there's some and, cool And then there's another stuff. version of that that's like, doo, 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 doo. <laughs> when really horrible shit is happening. It's, it's so scary. It's yeah. It makes it seem kind of real. It's a really no, it's a really good soundtrack. It's just I think the the more whimsical orchestral stuff is like why. Uh, and the movie largely takes place in the daytime. Yeah, I don't know if there horror. are any night scenes no, at all. There are none. Even like when we talked about uh, Don't Torture Duckling and stuff. Same writer. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Giancarlo uh, Clarici. Nah, Gianfranca. Oh, Gianfranco Clarici wrote this. <laughs> Touche. Wrote, wrote uh, Don't Torture a Duckling, the uh, Fulci movie we talked about. Also wrote the next film. Yep. Also wrote New York Ripper, which we mentioned a couple but I, weeks I, ago. I love, also in that movie, there was this like, I, I feel like Italians maybe... Uh, have a different relationship with death than we do because they always have these epic songs when there's a big death scene. It's not, and they're always beautiful. Both of these films and the whole Italian horror scene of the 70s and the early 80s kind of reminded me of what we talked about with Your Next, where that was all these American indie filmmakers and performers that were all friends, all kind of like getting together, getting together to do something. Very similar thing here. There are so many connections between Cannibal Holocaust, House on the Edge of the Park, and then other Italian horror movies, Fulci movies, um, Umberto Lenzi movies. He's credited with the first Cannibal film from 72 or something like that. There are so many connections between the filmmakers, the writers, the music, the performers. It's... It, would actually be almost tedious to run down through every single person who's also in this and that movie and also worked with this and that guy. There was this like whole scene in Rome, and that's where Diodato came up. He studied under some some greats. He worked on the movie Django from 66. He studied under some real legit 
filmmakers and ended up taking these genre films. He's really, um, <clears throat> Diodato is kind of a, a jack of all genre guy. He did a little bit of everything. Whatever the popular exploitation genre was, he did. He did an action movie with the greatest title called Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. Uh, he, he did like Bruce Willis happily would have started. Yeah, he, he did um, swords and sandals movies. They call them. He did a Jalo movie. He did a. Uh, I watched a movie called Body Count that he did in '86 or '87. A late American style slasher that also has David has so bad. I wouldn't re- recommend that. I would recommend um, a movie called Last Cannibal World from '77 that Diodato did. Now it's marketed as Jungle Holocaust to trade on okay. the popularity of, of this movie, but Last Cannibal World is on Tubi. Very good. I really liked Last Cannibal World. It's much more straightforward than this. It doesn't have all the the meta and the, and the film within a film and doesn't have as much. It's more like, um, like a deliverance. It's like a cannibal deliverance. It's a very survival horror, has animal cruelty once again. And I, I just lastly on that, I don't want to dwell on it, but all of these Italian cannibal movies and the Mondo movies, which are very very similar. They kind of all have certain features. I would say that if I was going to have a serious conversation about my, maybe not top 20 favorite movies, but like most influential, important movies, I would put this in my top 20. Got to be there. You have to. You have got to. to be there. You have to. I mean, strip everything away from it in terms of content or who's going to be offended by what. It is a really well-made movie. Yeah, just just, just turn, no denying I mean, it. Yeah, I mean, we talk about a lot of movies, and we we constantly question their pacing, their editing, all of this. This movie, start to finish, is a clean watch. Well, and like we said, didn't we go see Green Inferno together? We did. Yeah, you know, I mean, this movie's still coming back. They refer to where the documentarians go as the Green Inferno a bunch. Eli Roth would then go on to make the Green Inferno, which is his tribute to Cannibal Holocaust. Right. Many years later, uh, Trent, I know how you feel about that movie. Um, I did. What do you, what do you mean? How I, I thought you hated it. it. I wouldn't say I hated it. it it's just I like that movie. All right. It's okay. It's, it's fine. okay. It's yeah. fine. It, it's not. It, it's his tribute to Cannibal Holocaust, and it's not anything near as good as this but he also gave Diodato a um cameo in Hostel 2 yes and I don't remember that I haven't seen Hostel 2 in a long time but Diodato has a cameo in that movie Kerman has a cameo in like one of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies you know it's it's just charming do we talk about budgets how much did Cannibal Holocaust I don't know that there is any type of worldwide gross number out no, there because it was so there heavily banned. Yeah. I think any number associated with this is gross, though. <laughs> Diodato has claimed, at least at one time, that this movie made $200 million. I highly doubt I don't that. know where he gets that figure from. He's a, you know, and there's a lot of interviews out there with Diodato. He's an interesting guy. He English is obviously not his first language, and so... When you watch video interviews with him that are in English, he it's, it seems like he has a hard time really... He can do the basics. He's fluent, but his memory... He said a lot of different things about this movie and the next one. He has conflicted himself, and so it's kind of hard to say. He says it made hundreds of millions of dollars. The budget is listed as 100000 which wow. is really wild. And it was all this was all filmed on location. They actually filmed in... South America, they actually filmed the two tribes that are in this movie are real. That's another element of the realism is that all the tribes people in this movie are real. And that's also another element of of accusations of exploitation because it's 
Unclear if any of them were paid for this. I would assume not. Another fact, Robert Kerman, porn actor, best known for Debbie Does Dallas. Oh, right. Oh. He was... Wow. <laughs> First porno I ever saw. Wow. <laughs> I don't That's... think I've ever seen that one. Who goes, who goes for that one? That's marketing right it's there. It's a weird story. I'm not comfortable sharing. That, actually, I thought it's of marketing. you when, uh, when I was watching this, Kevin, because I think my favorite part of our nightmare discussion a couple weeks ago that you pre-recorded in a hotel room in Singapore, your your first take on Nightmare, you started, you just said, okay, hardcore porn guy. Give me a beat! Once again, somebody from the porn community decided to make a horror movie. <laughs> Okay, my next pick for Double Diodato, Double Nasty Week, from the same year, 1980. And this film, uh, there are some competing narratives. This film was either shot before Cannibal Holocaust and, and released after, or it was shot right after, depending on who you believe. But either way, the same year, these films were shot back-to-back, which I think is interesting because they're very, very different films, although I think they still contain what is a bit of a Diodato signature in their very negative depiction of humanity. If you go past The Last House on the Left and you miss the turn at the house by the cemetery with a grave that I spit on, you might end up (laughs) at the house on the edge of the park. It's Directions Horror. Oh, God. Such a bad name. It's such a bad name. This is from a time before cell phones. You had to write down. And uh, if, you, if you get to the house on the edge of the park, you've gone too far. This is uh, a bit of a deep cut. And this is basically a, a remake of The Last House on the Left, the Wes Craven film that we talked about from 72. I don't know why eight years later... You want to do a remake of that? But it came up and Diodato said, yes, Um, this is very similar to Last House on the Left. It's the story of Alex and Ricky. They're two blue collar, working class, ruffian type guys, real roughnecks. Uh, As a matter of fact, Alex is depicted in the very first scene of the movie. The cold open is Alex committing a random street rape and murder of a random young woman on the side of the road. And what happens is that he and his sidekick, Ricky, who I think is supposed to be developmentally challenged in this film, they end up being invited to a party, a ritzy, upper-class, upper-crust party at the house near the park. And uh, all hell breaks loose as Alex basically starts taking the entire uh, party hostage and committing acts of violence, physical and sexual this is a bit of a deep cut and it's a rough one. This is, I don't, it's not as gory by any means as Cannibal Holocaust, but the content, the subject matter, stuff that goes on in this movie is pretty brutal. You will find this on some depravity lists. I don't think it's that brutal, to be honest. I think that um, Last House on the left is pound for pound, much more brutal in its depictions than this one. But I think this one is a much deeper movie. It has way more layers going on than Last House on the left. And there are things about this movie that I think make it more disturbing than that movie 
on some levels. I had never seen this one before. Dave mentioned it a couple weeks ago, and I didn't I didn't realize that it was uh, Diodato. So I really, really enjoyed this one. I think this is a, a minor masterpiece and different from anything else that Diodato did that I'm aware of or that I've seen. What do you think of this one, Dave? Uh, well, I, I had mentioned this uh, as I went down the list of all 72 Nassies. I was trying to watch them all, and I was reading about them at the same time. And what I read about this one is there's a category of the video nasties that's more of like the sexual violence. Yeah, right. It's more rapey, and that's what gets it on the list. I'm not as interested in that stuff. I like the gruesome stuff. I like the the shocking, but a little bit like just less on the nose to like a reality you know, rape situation at a party or whatever. But I do wish this was more gruesome in some way. I feel like even when there is vengeance exacted at a certain point that it all happens really quickly and most of it is just torment. I like this movie okay. I think it's nowhere near Cannibal Holocaust, but it's stylistically so different that it's kind of crazy that the same guy made both movies. But I didn't dislike this movie. I just think that it lacks a little bit in the shadow of Last House on the Left and the way it's all set up. You have to take that to another level for me. And to go, this if this was before Last House on the Left, I might like it better. Yeah, I had never heard of this. Did not know that this movie existed. This one was tough for me. It was really implausible. We talk a lot about how you have to suspend disbelief for horror movies. This one to me was like Alex and Ricky getting into this like highbrow party and bringing in their like their grimy personas and then a whole bunch of opportunities where people could have fought back or gotten away very easily. And the entire time I'm like, will somebody do something? But like what both of you said, yeah, it, it's it's incredible that this was done by the same director and by the same writer within the same year. Right. Yeah. Because that's wild. You couldn't have two different movies. And, and the same composer. This one, pacing wise, did not really hold my attention as much as Cannibal Holocaust did. You know, kind of tough to match. You've you've <laughs> that level. you've named your week many things. I would say this week is the Dicks Get It week. Dicks getting it all <laughs> over the it. place this week. I would say that Hess turns in like he does in Last House on the Left, a very disturbing performance. Really gets under your skin. I think I did myself a disservice by watching Cannibal Holocaust and then watching this back to back. I yeah. honestly think yeah. I I would have it would have been better if I had done. Which I think if is you had literally... seen this in a in a different context and you just saw it on its own, but nothing can match the fury no. of Cannibal Holocaust. No, and, and honestly, just not like the filmmaking, like the original filmmaking that Deodato brought to Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, this is well shot. Don't get me wrong; like both of these movies are like very pre like Steadicam, and yeah. some of like the camera work that he has in this and some of his directing is way ahead of its time because you know that he wasn't afforded the technology that you and I could shoot a movie like this now and make it look cool with like our iPhone. But back then, a lot of that camera work and a lot of the directing, it needed to be like very precise. You actually had to be directing. You couldn't let the technology do a lot of the work. I think, you know, overall the brutality, some of the acting was, was very good in this. Uh, some of it was very bad. I, I found Ricky to be as sympathetic as I was towards him because he clearly is being presented as a low IQ 
yeah. person. Yeah. I felt bad, but I thought his acting was a little lackluster. Oh. Um, also, you know, we can get into this, but I also feel like Deodato and the writer, they were playing real fast and loose with how we are to perceive uh, some yeah. of the yeah. quote unquote victims. Yep. Uh, we know who our antagonists are for sure, uh, yeah. but the reactions in some of those scenes, I think for me, are some of the most provocative and potentially debatable scenes that yep. we've seen in a really, really grimy horror movie like this. More so than I Spit on Your Grave, Last House, all of those. I agree. They're kind of tossed up in the air, and it's like, yeah. what do you think? Well, th- that's the thing. This is essentially, it's, it's a few different things. It's a rape revenge movie. On one level, it's a classic home invasion movie. It reminded me a lot of Funny Games. Uh, and, home and invitation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's like yes. a, a Trojan horse home invasion yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting that in the way that it reminded me of Funny Games, sometimes David Hess and Lombardo Radici, they reminded me of the two kids in Funny Games. But sometimes in this movie, the hosts of the party seem more like the invaders from funny games than the quote unquote villains do. And I, I did I should have mentioned that not only was this a loose remake of Last House on the Left, it also stars David Hess, who plays Krug again, but in this movie Krug is named Alex. I, I still it's hard to watch this movie and not think that that's Krug. Well the thing uh, I didn't like about this well I I liked it. I did like it, but I had criticisms of it is that it was like that that rapey movie without any kind of resolve, you know, like Clockwork Orange was around uh, just before this, you know. And it's funny that he re- he was called Alex because that's also this, oh yeah, the guy from right. Clockwork Orange. Right. Well, I th- but, I mean I think he's I think David Hess is by far the best part of this movie. He is. I don't know what it is about Fiverr that guy. Robert De Niro. He, yeah, he's no, <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. It's a great call. That's what I was thinking. He channels. He just it channels this composite of like seventies blue collar New York guy, part De Niro, part Travolta, <laughs> yeah. part Stallone, yeah. and, and even like part Juan Epstein from Welcome Back, Cotter. If you put all those <laughs> guys into one guy, and he's a brutal, brutal guy who carries a straight razor. That's how you know this is Italian. Instead of a dagger, he has the straight razor because that's what that's how they do it over there. And and, and I think that. What's disturbing about this movie in a way that's much different than the other rape revenge movies and and home invasion movies, and I think what lands this on lists of disturbing and depraved movies, it's not the graphic content per se, but it's the ambiguity. This is deliberately presented in some ambiguous ways, and it's always, I think, very difficult when you're going to present sexual assault, sexual abuse, rape, you're going to present that in an ambiguous light. That's, to me, the point of this movie. Uh, And there is a twist, a big twist at the end. We'll talk about that when we're done here. I don't want to give that away until until we're finished. But (laughs) you think that there's going to be all these assaults, and there are, but there are also much more ambiguous interactions. There's, There's a scene where one of the party throwers, one of the hosts of the party, actually seduces Ricky and has very, very consensual, like she's basically taking him as a, almost treating him as a, a virgin child, and they have a very long and loving sex scene, which is cut in with a scene of Alex or Krug 
cutting up the young the young teen girl who from next door who ends up at the party very disturbing and then one of the other hosts the whole time is is heavily heavily flirting with alex brings him into the shower with her they're making out they're doing touching like she's very much acting like she wants to um be sort of a tourist in his tough guy world and and when the young girl from next door shows up she actually looks takes one look at david hess and she says well i've never seen you guys hanging around with studs like this before and i I think that part of the class i think there's a lot of class warfare stuff and i think part of what it's doing is saying that these high society people on some level they want to be a little bit of a tourist in the low class tough guy dangerous bad boy world as much as it repels them, it also attracts them, and, and that's controversial. Well, it's like what I talked about when I said, you know, it was frustrating to watch this movie because there were so many chances where I felt like certain people could get away. And when, to the, to the scene that you're talking about, Trent, when Gloria, you know, kind of gets away. She could, now. And Ricky, right. and then she kind of seduces him. Is this like Stockholm Syndrome? Like, because what's the, going on? She could have been on? saved by the dog walker. She and, had a million chances, and, and then instead um, she's Ricky like, throws away the bottle, and she says, "Come on, let's do." Yeah, this. it's a really, it's a really bizarre scene. Some of that I think is explained in the in the yeah. Twist. Once you know the twist, like you're watching this without knowing exactly what the end game yes. is. Yes. But like Dave said, like the invitation. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are so many parts of the movie where you're like, "Why are they doing this? These people are obviously depraved and trying to hold them hostage." And, and they're not fighting back too yeah, much. Yeah, no one's fighting back, and, and then not they're only like that, they're... seducing them in yeah, some ways. Yeah. It's a it's a really inter- I'd love I would love to see sort of a breakdown of this movie and exactly what the writers were going for. If it was anything more than just shock and awe, which it may have been, but you make a good point. You know, this is so far after we have movies like the Italian movies like Zombie Two or zombie, if you're in Italy, which was like a year after Dawn of the Dead, and that was like the unofficial sequel to Dawn of the Dead. Like, a lot of that. Just jumping on what was popular in one market, we can remake it for another market. Eight years later with the same actor, so it's a little bizarre to (laughs) me. It's It's either a really, like, bold uh, statement about rape, or Ruggiero's a rapist. I don't know. I I can't tell. Yeah, I think it's a little (laughs) bit of both, and and I've heard people debate whether... They they see this as just pure exploitation and nothing more. I like to think there's more to it, whether it was intended or not. I think there's definitely a lot of class stuff. I think it's significant that Alex, played by David Hess, is presented as a veteran. He's got the dog tag around his neck the whole time. And when he's uh, torturing the young girl from next door, he's singing Cindy O' Cindy, which is kind of a kind of a like soldier song or at least a naval song about being away. And that song actually is kind of the same as Sweetly Oh Sweetly, which is the original composition that plays. I kind of thought Sweetly Oh Sweetly was kind of a play on Cindy Oh Cindy. Uh, might be. It is. Oh, it totally is. Yeah. They're doing that very deliberately. I, I think there's a part where they're playing that underneath him singing that. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. Again, the score in this is like very... It's very interesting. I can understand why Dave fell down uh, a post-joint rabbit hole <laughs> the best one of, is the... of the soundtracks. But again, a lot of it was very jarring. Some of it was super on point, and the, then some the of it Ricky I was like... The Ricky sex scene. The Ricky sex scene music it, is it's, amazing. It's sensual. Yeah. Hess claims that when he and Lisa... So I think another great acting turn in this is Lisa, 
So basically, Ricky and Alex end up at this party because Lisa and her boyfriend show up at their car garage and they're having some car troubles and Ricky fixes it real quick. And then they're like, hey, to say thank you, come back to our party. And clearly this party is like way above their social status. So classism that you talked about, Trent. But Lisa seems to be very cool and collected. Very. And I, I thought very that calm. her performance in this was 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 really good. It's amazing. Even after a coerced encounter, but the way that it's shot, again, very deliberately shows that the coerced encounter on some level becomes... There's a level of consent. That yeah, I don't want to say. I, I don't want to say consensual, but I don't. But, I know. But it's, there's. But there's kissing. <laughs> there, I there's mean, she, like unprovoked. Yeah, ki- ki- I mean, there's physical yeah, stuff and, that goes on. By the end of the encounter, she's in control. Let's say, okay, or she's in a position of of control. It I, again, I think that's part of why it, it's controversial, and and I don't want to um, say anything wrong. But I think that's all. <laughs> I think that's. Again, that's intended. And I think the the class stuff is very clear right from the start. One of the things that was confusing to me is when they all start dancing around and Ricky is really putting on a dance show and they all start cheering Ricky on more and more and more. And immediately you see Alex starts getting bothered yeah. by this. And it only becomes clear after several minutes that they're treating Ricky like a freak show, a geek show, carnival sideshow. Telling him to strip. Telling him to strip and down. Like he's Alex, taking his clothes yeah. off. And that's what really sets Alex off. That's the first thing that makes him mad is that they're treating his sidekick like a freak show. And then it appears that they're taking advantage of Ricky again during the card game. So these hosts seem to be doing quite a bit to provoke Alex to anger. And that all of that stuff happens before... Th- Alex finally decides, I think it's the poker game, when they're they're running a game on Ricky. That's when Alex decides that he's going to take control of this party. The uh, straight razor comes out, and the assaults begin. I like how the, the poker game went down. That's kind of like when everything starts to come to a head. That's I it. thought that was yeah. nice. Yeah, I mean, they're just picking on Ricky, which... And he R- says, R- Ricky's uh, a very interesting character in this movie. Played by Giovanni Lombardo Radici who would nice. also uh, would go on to be in uh, Cannibal Ferox, I believe, as would yeah. one of the actresses uh, in this. He was in... Um, oh, wait, Ricky was also in uh, City of the Living Dead. City of the Living Dead. He did yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So again, all, the, a lot of these people were people who picked up the phone for low-budget Italian exploitation horror, yeah. and, and there are many connections. I think Ricky's the most interesting character in the entire movie, until you know the twist. And then the only reason I would go back and rewatch this movie, which I doubt I will, but the only thing that would compel me to would be all of the motivations of each character that we've been talking about after I know the twist. Because sometimes we just talked about this in between takes that we love watching a movie the second time sometimes because you're not trying to figure out what's going on. But I think until you know the twist, I think Ricky is the most interesting character because he's looking for some sort of like validation and attention thus the strip scene trent that you talked about where he's dancing around and they're take you know take your clothes off but then also alex you know can can command ricky's attention and his loyalty with like a sentence he's a very interesting character in this and again i would like to think that you know the deodato and the writer were hoping to bring something more to like a classism i I think so one of the first things that alex says to ricky when they get to the party is we're among rich people now ricky like watch your behavior 
don't act a fool. Yeah, and yeah. And then Ricky immediately acts a fool. Right, and and that's kind of that's kind of what sets it off. I think that's very much part of the mix. We should talk about the the final twist in this movie. It it kind of comes down the whole thing comes down to that final twist and that explains a lot of what's confusing about it i was curious if you guys noticed there's a tell the first real tell aside from the the ambivalence of the hosts and we talked about them not trying very hard to get away and having willing consensual sexual seductions of the of the uh the villains there's a scene where after ricky has uh, had sex with uh, one of the hosts she tries to convince him to run away from the house because they're outside. They could have gotten away at that point. And she says of Alex, he's a murderer. Danger. The emergency destruct system is now activated. The ship will detonate in T minus 10 minutes. The option to override automatic detonation expires in T minus 5 minutes. But nobody's been murdered at that point in the film. Right, so right. how does she know that he's a murderer? And it goes by really fast. So that's your first hint that this has all been a setup. Here's the big spoiler. These people, the one of the attendees, one of the hosts of the party, the first scene of the movie, the, the rape and murder, that was his sister. And they figured out that Alex was the guy that raped and killed this guy's sister, and they invited him to this party. They tried to not invite Ricky. If you go back now and watch the movie understanding that, they try to leave Ricky out of it when they're at the garage, and Alex insists oh. on bringing him. Oh, yeah, he's like, right. I told him he could come out tonight. Yeah, they don't. They both say, let's not bring that guy. Great so call. they've set all this up to bring Alex to their party, and they're going to get revenge on him, and it, it goes kind of, kind of awry. I don't know what their plan was. Like, they were all just going to have sex with him first, and then... <laughs> it's a very strange plan and but I think that's part of the class thing is that they're they're getting some jollies out of this they're getting some entertainment out of it and the the ladies are getting to tourist with the tough guys that they don't normally hang around with that work at garages and spit on the ground and maybe served yeah, in the war doesn't matter what they do tonight because this guy's going to end exactly. up dead exactly so and exactly. We'll, we'll carry on with our highbrow life so when you're asking yourself why don't they try to get away and why are they having willing encounters with these guys they're just like touristing it up, having a good old time, thinking that, you know, they've got the upper hand. At the end of the day, the gun comes out and Alex is dispatched and the guy explains to him, we know what you did. That was my sister. Well, and shoots him in the dick and the then dick. says, yeah. I know what you did to my sister. Right. Right. And I then, like, uh, yeah. I feel like the, this is makes Cannibal Holocaust look like Rambo. And this is almost <laughs> like a mumblecore kind of thing. Yeah. It's just a... It, 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 it's not setting. it's not that far off from your next. It's like a reverse your next. Yeah, very, it, it, and again, similar to Last House, where this, the parents in the Last House on the left do the same thing, where they they trick Krug in. Well, but they invite them in out of the goodness of their heart, and then they realize yes. what they've done. Right. This so this right. is they knew they know what when Alex they invite them. did. Yeah. Let's get him here. It's more, I think it's more perverse and the fact of them touristing through it all like that. That's why I mean, fair, I think there's more fair. going you on. You could have this. a pretty healthy debate on antagonist and protagonist definitely, in, this, definitely. in this particular movie. And, and I think that's what it's trying to do. I think it fails at that ultimately because you start the movie by showing a street rape and murder that is unambiguous. There's really no way that Alex can ever be a sympathetic character after that. So it's kind of like it... <laughs> It doesn't matter. It's kind of like um, in, in, in Cannibal Holocaust, the least upsetting murders are 
the film crew at the end, the main characters, when they die, you don't care at all because you already know how terrible they are. In this one, it's kind of the same thing. By the time they get their revenge on Alex, you don't, who cares? You want him to be dead. Yeah. Great call on, I remember seeing Gloria tell Ricky, why are you so loyal to him? He's a murderer. Yeah. Yeah. And it never hit me it, that like he had he had yet to kill anybody. Yeah. I mean, honestly, there are what? Two deaths in this entire film. Yeah. That's right. They never they never kill anyone at the party. No. They they brutalize. They do some brutalizing, I mean, yeah, but I'm not yeah. Yes. They don't murder. Yeah, it's not that murder, you know, or death I think is the worst thing that can happen to a human, but they do everything other than. Yeah. But yeah, you that's know, maybe a, that's if, a really good call out. Maybe if they were slightly more likable Maybe if they didn't slice up that Cindy girl at the end, <laughs> that you know you would feel something That's more at the end. That's where I think it kind of feels end, a little bit. Yeah, the end you kind of feel nothing for anyone. No, I just think it's like it's the, the one dude that's like tied up under the table because he yeah. was the only one that was trying to fight back. Yeah, but then there's the other dude that just keeps getting his face bashed in and yeah. just stands there the whole movie. Like I feel like I, I know his script was like three lines well, and yeah. every other thing was just stand there and keep getting more bloody but don't do anything well, he, bro he says at the end the, the gun was harder to get to than I thought and he does make one attempt when he goes to get the tapes and Alex oh yeah I, I keep my good tapes him. in this drawer yeah and Alex is having none of that so. I will say that I was ready to blast this movie but talking about it with you guys made me think about it on a much deeper level because overall, I did not enjoy watching the movie. Not yeah. just because of the violence and like that. I just didn't think it was well paced or just yeah. well done. It's um, almost slow. In, it's, it's, it is. But this is another example of where throughout the course of our conversation, it gave me so much more to think about. And you know what? Fuck it. Maybe I will go back and watch this. You should. This one is a VOD, but it's a cheap, grimy $1.99. Yeah. Yeah. You get what you pay for. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, it's another director spotlight, checking out two films by Fabrice Duel's Belgian filmmaker, did a movie in 2004 called Calvaire, a.k.a. The Ordeal, which has been unavailable on streaming for years. It's just been remastered and re-released by Yellow Veil Pictures, and The Ordeal is now available VOD. Also checking out another movie by Duel's part of a trilogy, the Ordeal being the first film. The second film in that trilogy from 2014 is called Alleluia, and that is free on Tubi right now.